are in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and now Jesus is teaching us to pray the Lord's Prayer, the greatest prayer ever made. And Jesus has given this as the model prayer to, to, to make. And so we have been studying the Lord's Prayer. And as we've studied it, uh, we are dumbfounded by how great it is and how all-encompassing it is. And I'm doing this as a way of, of review so that those who are new to the class will get a sense of where we are. And so if you turn to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 9, Jesus begins to tell us how we should pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And that's what we're studying. Give us today our daily bread. So we have previously, previously prayed in the Lord's Prayer for the acknowledgement of the holiness of God. Hallowed be your name. For the fact that we want his kingdom that's in heaven to come to earth. And we know that that kingdom will come to earth eventually. And we're seeking to have it come to earth now. So the first part of the prayer is all about God, acknowledging God, acknowledging his sovereignty, acknowledging his holiness. And then we say, your will be done. And we spent three weeks on that. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we know that there are only two wills. There are only two wills. You think you have your own independent will, but you don't. There are only two wills in this world. God's will and Satan's will. It's that simple. And everything is a deriv derivative of that. And so if you're not within the will of God, if you're not doing God's will, then perforce, you're doing Satan's will. And, and your human will is conforming to what Satan wants. And with, that began right at the Garden of Eden. And we studied that. Now, finally, in the prayer... After giving half of the prayer towards God and acknowledging God, now finally Jesus said, now it's appropriate for you to ask for your needs, to ask for your necessities. And we spoke about this last week. God doesn't say, pray for everything that you want. Pray for all the things that you think you need, but you don't really need. You've defined them as necessities, but they're not really necessities. Oh, God, if you bless my stock portfolio, Lord, this time, I know before I haven't, but this time I will give a big chunk of it away. How's that? Is that a prayer you've heard? You know, this time I'm really convinced. And, you know, and you, we, we make these kind of prayers. And, of course, maybe we don't make them that way. But it's a derivative of the rather, you know, diverse prayers that come out of our head as we pray for effectively things that we want. And God is not saying he's going to give you things that you want. He's going to give you things that you need. And what we're going to study today is this multi-level teaching about what your needs are as God perceives your needs and how God answers the prayer of your needs. And your needs start, first of all, with your physical needs. Food, shelter, the necessities of life, protection. All right? But it goes beyond that. It goes to spiritual needs because you're only going to be in this planet maybe a hundred years if you're lucky. All right? And somebody will say, yeah, that's not so lucky. You know? As my father used to say about the golden years, who took the gold? You know? <laughs> my father had a million of them. He was good at that. But, but uh, you'll see 
you'll see that whatever it is, this is a, just a splinter of time. And we read that prayer in Proverbs that I told you was the prayer that my father made every day of his life, which was, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Folks, when you're saying a prayer like that, you are grounded. You're grounded. Because here's the thing. We got the poverty section down. Lord, don't make me poor. But it's a pretty rare person that, does, that can say, Lord, don't make me rich. Don't make me rich, Lord. Because as you, as you remember when we read that section, the author of that section in Proverbs said, I recognize that when I'm rich, I'm probably not going to be serving God. I'm going to be distracted. The riches of the world will take my mind off the cross when you think about that. And so you understand again the parameters of what God is saying here. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread for today. What I need for today. Not what I need in two years. Two years will come and take care of itself. What do I need today? Now, the best explanation of that in a worldly sense and a spiritual sense is found in Exodus chapter 16. Turn to that, please. As the Israelites leave Egypt and now are out in the wilderness, and they've been, they've been out for about four or five weeks, and now the complaints are starting. You brought us out here to die. You brought us out here to starve. But we were much better off in Egypt. Sure, we were in slavery. Sure, we were in chains. Sure, we were in the mud pits. But we had good meals. And that's effectively what, that's effectively what they were saying. And so I want you to see how God responds to the needs of the people. Their daily bread. Begin with me, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 16, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. And by the way, I told you, God is amazing. And Moses is amazing. Because can you imagine having led this motley group of several million people out into the wilderness? God has directed you to do it. And here they are, four or five weeks. They've already been saved from the, the chariots of, of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea that's opened up for them. God has done this for them. They've given them water. The rock has given them water. And now they're grumbling. And I said, really, if we were God, we would have just wiped them up. Wouldn't you? Just get rid of them. Moses, I'm going to start all over with you. And you see what a godly man Moses is. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. Can you imagine? And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? And if you look up the Hebrew translation of manna, it is translated as, What is it? Isn't that interesting? What is it? That is the Hebrew translation of manna. Amazing. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Underline that in your Bible. As much as 
he needs daily for your needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Do you see how God takes care of your needs? Your needs. He gives you exactly what you need. It may not be what you want. It may not be your full desires. It may not be that big fancy house on the beach. It may not be those big vacations or a fancy car. But God knows what you need. And each one, each one of these Israelites out there in the wilderness under the unction of the Holy Spirit and God himself are given what each one needed. It's an extraordinary story, really. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Again, you see God gives his commands. When you want to receive the daily bread, part of receiving the daily bread is being right with God. Honoring his commandments, honoring his law. God expects that from us. And so no one was to keep any of what they got, any of what they received for the morning. They were to use it for the day, their daily bread. God wanted them to be reliant on him each day. Because here's what happens. Oh, I've stacked up six months worth of manna. I don't need God. It's in the refrigerator. I don't need the daily bread. I've got it covered. Now you know that's exactly what would happen. And God is demonstrating the fact that the bread is going to be provided each day for what you need each day. Then Moses said, verse 19, to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, I always love the howevers. However, the humanity part of it comes out. The grumbling part of it comes out. The lack of submission comes out. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Well, that's a shock. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Can you imagine? Now, this is not a good thing when you're in the desert. Okay? It's not like you're here in Naples and you can take something, wrap it up in plastic, put it in the freezer. No, you're out in the desert. There's no refrigeration. There's two million of you stuck out there in the middle of nowhere, and now somebody's got something with maggots and smell. You can imagine how, how disease can immediately be proliferated. Verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, and, and he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save what is left and keep it until the morning. So there is an example. The Sabbath is coming. That day you can gather twice. God accords that. Because on the Sabbath you're going to worship God. So they saved it until morning as Moses commandment commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Can you imagine? The day that they saved double. That food was fine. That second day, yes. Yes. 
Yes, I assume that this probably was one of those lessons that you learned pretty quickly. You know, like after the first week, it's like, mm, let's nix that idea. You know, probably, probably so. Exactly. Everybody would know. Nevertheless, some of the people, verse 27, went out on the seventh day to gather it, and they found none. Can you imagine? Again, they don't listen. They went out on the Sabbath. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? How long will you refuse? How long will you refuse? Verse 31, The people of Israel called the bread manna. Uh, and uh, move on to verse 33. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and place an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. And so that's exactly what happened. They took a jar of the manna they, uh, uh, and they sealed it and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant so that that would be a remembrance to them of how the God had saved them out in the wilderness. He gave them their daily bread. An extraordinary, an extraordinary tale. Now, we move forward. Forty years goes by. Forty years. Every day... For 40 years, God delivers these people. Brings them food every day for 40 years. Now Moses is reflecting back on this. As they're about to go into the, the promised land. Now turn please to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And by the way, you know that while two and a half or three million Israelites left Egypt because of the fact that they were disobedient to God, only two make it into the promised land. All right? Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Moses himself will not be able to go because Moses struck the rock when God told Moses to speak to the rock. And the rock was the symbol of Jesus Christ who was who will ultimately be crucified. can only be crucified once. One time. Then you speak to the rock. And so now Moses is giving them instruction. What have you learned? You spent, you spent 40 years wandering the desert. What have you seen from God? And now he summarizes it. Verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. That's the promise to you. God wants you to live and prosper, to have a ministry, to go out in this world and be effective. He saved you by Jesus Christ, but he wants to raise you up and use you in every possible way. He's speaking to you right now. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, please underline that, to humble you and to test you, please underline that, in order to know what was in your heart. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. And what will that show? God will in giving you that daily bread as part of his tests in giving you what he wants you to have, he will humble you. He will test you as you learn to live on him. Instead, you will go out and make all kinds of plans. Let's go here. Let's do this. 
I have big plans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this building. I'm going to start this operation. Instead of waiting on God, praying to God, asking God for his guidance, for his leading, his daily bread, because he recognizes here that God, in giving you that daily bread, is humbling you and testing you in order, why? In order to know what was in your heart. Underline that. What was in your heart? Well, I know what was in my heart. It's not good. It's not good. I always laugh when I hear these Eastern religion people speak. Uh, even the, the uh, guy that uh, Oprah Winfrey was enamored with. What was the name of Good Earth? Uh, yes, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, who's whose view on religion was you need to go deep within yourself. Deep within yourself. Because when you go deep within yourself, you find God. Listen, folks, we know as Christians, you go deep within yourself and you find an abyss. Amen? I mean, that's what we understand as Christians. An abyss. And I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. Okay? I'm speaking to me. You know what it's like. And God knows what you like. That's why God gave you a Savior. That's why He gave you Jesus Christ. Because you were lost. You were doomed. The very DNA of your body doomed you. You're a sinning machine. Every minute and moment of the day, unless God has taken over your life, and has come into your heart. And so God is trying to test you and to humble you and to show you what's in your heart. And so he brings you through the desert, but he gives you the daily bread. Do you see the importance of saying, give us this day our daily bread as he demonstrates his love? Yes, Joe. Well said, Joe. It's exactly right. Joe said they had no idea what their daily bread was. Do you think they thought that their daily bread would come down as white flakes from the sky? And you have no idea what your daily bread is. Really. You don't know. You don't know. But that's where we trust in God. This is part also part of submitting. Submission. Putting your heart in accord with God's will. And so Moses is, I mean, this is some sermon he's giving here. God is doing this in order so that you know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see that? Again, keep his commands. Keep his law. Yes, God, give me. Give me. But let me live the kind of life I want to live. Let me go where I want to go. Let me say what I want to say. Let me do what I want to do. But give me, God. Do you see what God is saying here? There's a partnership. God honors the prayers of his children. Are you his child? Are you living as his child? And so you see... Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. You see how God works? He actually causes you to have certain specific needs. And all of you here have different needs. You have different needs. And in many ways, God has caused that yearning and that need in your life so you would reach out to God and say, God, give us this day our daily bread. This is a powerful, powerful sermon. 
powerful. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Underline that. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's not just your physical needs. It's not just food and shelter, but the word of God that will give you everlasting life. Amen? And that's what he wants you to understand. He wants you to understand that you have a tremendous need for spiritual food. And look what happened here as he goes on. Your clothes, verse 4, your clothes did not wear out. Can you imagine that? Forty years? I know for our ladies that's a horrifying thought. Imagine going to your husband and saying, I need a new outfit. That one looks perfectly good. But I've been wearing it for 33 years, but it looks good on you. Look, it's got a lot of wear left. I mean, you can, can you imagine? The clothes did not wear out. And your feet did not swell for 40 years. I mean, can you imagine? You're doing nothing but walking on sand and scrub for 40 years. For 40 years. It's hot. It's, it's hot. It's painful. And your feet don't swell. And your clothes don't wear out. Is this a miracle? I mean, do you see what's going on here? God has given these people extraordinary gifts. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God, Lord your God, disciplines you. You understand the big picture. You're starting to see how God works. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, yes, give it to me. I will be your child. I will live by your commandments. I will observe your law. I will do what I can, Lord. I'm a weak man. I'm a sinning machine, but with the Holy Spirit and your grace, Lord, I will grow, draw closer to the cross. And God honors. God honors and protects and gives you not just your physical needs, but your spiritual needs. Extraordinary. Extraordinary passage. Now turn to Luke chapter 4. Because you're going to hear these words repeated by God himself, Jesus Christ, as he confronts Satan. Where? In the wilderness of all places. How about that? Luke chapter 4. And now, Jesus has been swept out. He's in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And now he's being tempted. Just before he starts his ministry, as you know, Satan has, has determined from the beginning of the world, of, of the universe, of creation, that he is the avowed opponent of God. He's caused one-third of the angels to fall with him. They've been cast to earth, and he is now made up his mind that he will destroy Jesus. He tried to kill him in the manger, and had, that is his avowed purpose, and now Jesus is now going to start his ministry. Well, how about that? How about if I knock this ministry right out, right out from under the heels of God, right here? And so Luke chapter 4, verse 4, and then verse 3, the devil said to him, Jesus is hungry now. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's out there alone. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Oh, oh. After all, you're God. You're God. 
You're God's son. All you have to do is ask God, and he'll give it to you. He'll make that stone bread. He'll turn it into the best bread you've ever seen. Show me. Show me that you can do this. Okay, you see how, how the blasphemer works? How the blasphemer works? And, and, and how look at how Jesus answered in verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. You've heard that before, haven't you? Okay, what this verse does to me in several ways, number one, it demonstrates that Jesus is affirming the Old Testament. Okay? You have people say to you, well, I believe the Bible is, you know, stories. Stories. Interesting stories, but not the Word of God, really? Well, my Lord and Savior is just affirming what Moses told the Jewish people 1,400 years before. He's telling them that. So what does that do? First of all, it tells me that the Bible is affirmed by Jesus, and Jesus will do this over and over and over again. Affirmed it. So you should have an assurance to know that the Bible that you're reading has been written, has been read by Jesus, and that God himself has written it. And he repeats the very words that you hear. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, my. Oh, my. So, when we ask God, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me what I need physically, but give me even more the spiritual food I need. Instruct me. Raise me up. Affirm me, God, with your spiritual food, because I need your word spiritually in my life. Turn with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks. Verse 26, Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So you understand now, the bread, the manna, what God has done, give us this day our daily bread. Do you see how God is speaking on multiple levels? Yes, you needed the physical manna. You needed the physical manna in the wilderness. Yes, you needed the food for 40 years. Yes, but Moses has told us this wasn't just physical food. It was spiritual food. And now Jesus himself tells you that his very body, his body is broken. And that is the bread of life. And so that when we, we are part of the Christian community, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord and Savior, we are effectively becoming one with the Lord Jesus. And you understand the importance of, of eating the Word. Turn to Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15. Back about halfway in the Old Testament. After Proverbs, you'll find it in Isaiah. Six, uh, Jeremiah 15. Verse 
15, verses 15 and 16. Again, this is now, this is now some six, seven hundred years before Jesus is born. Verse 16. Actually, verse 15. You understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine? I ate the words. 700 years before Jesus, I ate the words. In other words, when I got the words, I just didn't read them. I just didn't go by them in a quick way. But I studied them and I digested them. I took them inside of my body. The very words of God, that's how serious you understand God wants you to be in your life. And so you see how this is a portent of what's going to come. Of how God is going to speak to us. And, and speak to you and how he wants you to act in your life. Give us this day our daily bread. Because why? Because I have enormous physical needs, Lord. I have enormous needs for necessities, but I have an even greater need for spiritual needs. And I need your word. I need to feast on your word, Lord. And I need to take Jesus, the bread of life, into my, into my heart in every possible way. Now turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm doing this because this, this is a lesson that demonstrates again and again that give us this day our daily bread that God is speaking to us on multiple levels. On multiple levels. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. And that they all pass through to the sea. You understand Paul now is speaking about the Jewish people who had left Egypt. All of them had been under the cloud. God had appeared in a cloud and told them, follow the cloud by day. Follow the cloud. The cloud will lead you to where you are to be. And the cloud actually shielded them from this burning sun. Can you imagine? As God led them through the wilderness. Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they all got wet. They all got wet. They all went through the sea and God delivered them in the sea, in the Red Sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Two and a half million, three million of them all ate the manna. They all ate the manna and drank the same spiritual drink, the rock. The rock gave forth the water. They all drank it. It's three million people for they drank from the same spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And for those of you who, who wonder when I say that the rock was Jesus, there's the reference to the rock being Jesus right there. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Underline that, please. So the fact that God is providing for you does not mean that God is necessarily pleased with your life or your conduct 
or where you are spiritually. This is important. All right? They all ate the manna. They all drank from the rock. They're out there for 40 years, but look what he says. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. What does it mean? It means that only two of them got into the promised land. So, what is that for us? It means this. Be sober. Be vigilant. When you make that prayer, God, give me my day, give us your, this day our daily bread. Lord, recognize what that prayer means. The other part of that prayer is, and I, God, will be your child. And I, God, will follow your commandments. And I, God, and I, and I will try to live like a Christian that you want me to be. I will raise up your testimony. When I go out into the streets, when people will see me, they'll see somebody that looks different from the world. Or do they look at you and you're like one of the two and a half million whose body is scattered out in the desert? Yeah, they ate the manna. Yeah, they drank the, the water. Yes, they go to church. But I don't see anything different in their lives. I'm indicting myself on this. I'm indicting myself on this. As God wants us to examine ourselves and understand what it means, what it means when you make that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What it means that we're saying, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. Most of them, their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things, verse 6, these things occurred as examples. Underline that. Examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Well, what do you mean? Well, we know what they did. Moses goes up, right? He goes up to get the Ten Commandments, and what has happened? He comes down, and what did they do? No problem. They just made a new God. Okay? No problem. They had a new God. In other words, the old God didn't answer their prayers quick enough. Time to create a new God. The holy calf God. All right? And over and over and over again for 40 years, you've seen the repetition of the same thing, of the disobedience, of the lack of submission. All right? Now, these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. Well, wait a minute, John. Come on. We're not idolaters. We're not worshiping pagans. Really? Do you worship the dollar bill? Do you worship affluence? Do you worship popularity? Do you worship prestige? Do you worship family? Do you elevate these, these aspects of your life to positions higher than God? Well, then let me clue you in. In that sense, you're an idolater because only God comes first. Everything else in your life comes second. And you see this here. You see this. These things happen. They do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. You think God is serious? How do you like that? One day, he wiped out 23,000 thousand Jews because of sexual immorality. Let me tell you something. This is, a, this is an, an enormous problem. An enormous problem in Christian communities. 
sexual immorality and our, our attraction to pornography. You think, you think these are innocent things? You think this is something that in the privacy of your study in your home or your computer, you're able to go there and go on the, on the computer and get involved in things like this and pornography and that it's an innocent thing? Do you realize what you're doing? How you're undermining your relationship with your wife and your husband? How you're sinning before God? If you're letting evil into your life? And you see what happened? 23,000 dead corpses as a result of sexual immorality. And let me tell you something further, folks. There's some great, great biblical people who were brought to their knees because of sexual immorality. David, huh, David became a murderer. Why? Because he would, it all started because he went up to the roof of the palace at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, what could be so bad about that? What could be? He's the king. He has a right to survey the kingdom. It's the high point, but he wasn't up there to survey the kingdom. And instead, instead of being with his men, his valor, valid men who were out fighting a war, he was up there by himself. He had separated himself from the people of God, from the soldiers, from the mighty men. And he'd been up there by himself. And let me tell you something, folks. He didn't just do this once. It never is just once. You think he went up one time? He goes up one time and, oh, gee, look at that. Bathsheba's taking a shower. You think that was one time? I'm going to tell you something. This was his internet pornography. It was. I'm convinced that he went up on a regular basis at 4 o'clock in the afternoon knowing that the women would do that and would wash. And so he's up there. And here he is, this, this man of God, exposing himself to sexual immorality by being in a place where he shouldn't be, looking at what he does, looking what, where he shouldn't be, and what happens. As a result of that act, as a result of that act, sin came into his life, and he eventually became a murderer. You realize what happens when you allow yourself to be part of sexual immorality? And so God, Paul is speaking to us here about this. Sure, God may have blessed you. Sure, you're getting the manna. Sure, you're getting the water. But are you, are you where God wants you to be? Are you where God wants you to be as you ask to be partnered with God? And I have to ask, answer these questions myself. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Oh, boy, don't grumble. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Can we put that in a plaque in church? Don't complain. Really? Honestly? How many of us as Christians? Complainers. Grumblers. God, what's wrong? Why aren't you doing this? What's wrong? I'm not happy instead of recognizing he's giving you the manna. He's giving you the manna. He's giving you the water. He's taking care of your every needs. And you, why? Because you just don't, you're not getting what you want. You're not just getting what you want. Instead of submitting to God, instead of submitting to God, this is what happens. And I want to give you an example. I want to give you an example of how God gives you what you want. From a spiritual perspective. The Ethiopian eunuch, do you remember? He'd come to, he'd come to Jerusalem. 
He'd come to Jerusalem to participate in the High Holy Days. And now he's coming back and he's reading Isaiah 53. He's reading Isaiah 53. But he doesn't understand Isaiah 53. And I could just imagine that he's praying. He's asking God, God help me. Now here's a question. Do you think an isolated person, far away, by himself, trying to read the Bible and not getting understanding is going to be answered by God? Turn to Acts chapter 8. Verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. Oh, wait, what are you telling me? Go out in the desert? I'm an evangelist. Come on. I'm an educated man. What are you doing to me, God? You're sending me out to the desert? Yes, go out to the desert. Look at this. Go out to the desert. The desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The road that leads nowhere. Verse 27. So he started out. By the way, he didn't tell him. Do you notice? God didn't tell him. By the way, you're going to meet an Ethiopian prince. He didn't tell him. He just said, go out on the desert. Okay? Go out in the desert. Give us this day our daily bread. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official. And man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And so as we read this story, Philip, verse 30, ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? Can you imagine this procession? This procession? And he goes up to this obviously wealthy, affluent, powerful man and said, by the way, do you understand what you're reading? What would we say? What are you, an ignoramus? Are you an ignoramus coming up and saying this to me? Get out of here. Have the soldiers get out and throw them out in the road. But you see how God is? You see how God is? You see, when we need the daily bread, God provides the daily bread. It doesn't matter if you're alone or in a desert road. God will see you and he will provide you. And that's enough for this week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the words that you've given us. Lord, you inspire us in so many ways. God, give us the understanding of the daily bread in every aspect of our life to rely on you and to know that bread is not just physical bread and necessity bread, but spiritual bread, Lord. We rely on you. We submit to you in every aspect of our life. And now, Lord, we ask you that you bless the service to follow and our pastor, that the words he says be the words that we need today. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.